Here's what's gonna happen. Over the next 35 minutes, I'm going to break one of the fundamental rules of preaching, all right? Which is, never bring up something you can't explain fully in 35 minutes. I'm gonna bring up five things that I can't explain fully because I'm gonna preach all five of the first five of 10 commandments, the first five words in the Decalogue. Is it ill-advised? Probably. Can you handle it? Definitely. As my dad would say, you all are the sharpest tools in the shed. So thank you for being here. You glad to be here? Good. So we're going to try to preach the five words. Now, then again, I have to say, Jesus summarized the entire Old Testament law in two sentences. So maybe sometimes we oversimplify or we overcomplicate things, right? Do you remember that moment when one of the Pharisees came up to Jesus and said, hey, what's the greatest of all the commandments? He wanted to put Jesus to the test, which you should probably not try to do, but he wanted to corner Jesus. He said, what's the greatest commandment? And Jesus said, that's easy. Remember what Jesus said? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. And then Jesus said, and actually there's a second one like it, love your neighbor as yourself. And what's amazing is that maybe you didn't notice this. The next thing Jesus said, he said, do you know the entire Old Testament law hangs on those two sentences? Essentially, he was saying, I can summarize the whole thing in just two phrases. He wasn't saying, don't worry about all the other commandments. He wasn't saying the Ten Commandments don't matter. There's only two that you should focus on. What Jesus was doing in that moment was he was saying, let me boil this down, even the Decalogue, let me boil it down to the most simple thing I can. This was Jesus saying, let me make this really simple. Have you ever had somebody say that to you? Let me make this really simple for you. My wife said that to me when, before we were dating, Kathy said to me, Adam, let me make this really simple for you, all right? I am not looking for a girlfriend, a boyfriend, excuse me. I've... <laughs> Jacob, are we recording this? Okay. She said, I'm not looking for a boyfriend. And I was like, that's okay, because I'm not either. I'm looking for a wife. <laughs> Sometimes... It helps to say, let me boil this down to something really simple. There are 613 laws in the Old Testament. We're going to study a bunch of them later. And those 613 laws can be summarized under the banner of the Decalogue, the 10 words. By the way, if you're wondering, why is he not calling it the Ten Commandments? Go back to last Sunday's sermon, and I explain why I think calling it the Ten Words is more biblical. But he, Jesus said, I can summarize all 613 under the Decalogue, and I can take the Decalogue, and I can summarize it with two sentences. One of them's vertical, the first five words, love God with all your heart. And the second phrase is horizontal, love your neighbor as yourself. What Jesus was doing is he was following on an old Jewish tradition of saying the first five words are all vertically oriented. They're about my loyalty to God. The second five words are all horizontal. This is what it looks like to love 
Love my, love my neighbor as myself. Now, last Sunday, some of you noticed that I took commandment five, I took word five, honor your parents, and I put it in the first table. And I got emails from some of you because you're so smart. And you're like, wait a minute, isn't that a horizontal thing? I'm gonna show you today why that is actually, that actually reflects the degree to which you are loyal to Yahweh. How well do you honor your mother and father. So parents, there will be a tip jar at the front of the stage after worship. <laughs> Just stop on by and you can say thank you, all right? What I wanna do is I wanna read now the 10 commandments to you. And here's what you're gonna notice. The first five words, the reason why they go together is in the first five commandments, Moses goes out of his way to include the phrase, and you're gonna see it, look for it, Yahweh your God, the Lord your God, with all five, it's always looking up. This is about the Lord your God. And then the moment he pivots to the sixth commandment, don't murder, that phrase goes away. And that's why you've got two sort of t- two kind of sets. So look at it with me, starting in verse six. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no gods before me. That's word one. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is on the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them for I, there it is, the Lord your God and jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers and the children to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. That's, that's word number four. That's word number three, excuse me. Here's word number four. Observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy as the Lord your God commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it, you shall not do any work. You or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your ox or your donkey or any of your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates that your male servant, your female servant may rest as well as you. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, The Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. That's word four. And here's word five. Pay attention. Honor your father and mother as the Lord your God commanded you, that your days may be long, and that it may go well with you in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. This is the word of the Lord. Amen? Five words. Here's what I'm going to do, and I'm going to do this very fast. I'm gonna take each of those five words and I'm gonna give them back to you with a sentence about Yahweh. So I'm gonna take each one, I'm gonna reframe it from a slightly different angle to help you see how each of those five words is really about how deeply I love God. They're really about what does it look like to be loyal to Yahweh? And the first five words show me how to do it. 
So here is sentence number one. I'm gonna, I'm gonna have you write these down. If you're a note taker, I'll put the sentence and I'll put the, the, the commandment that goes with it so you can make the connection. Number one, Yahweh has no peers. He has no peers. That's why you should have no other gods before him. There's no one like him. However, there are, in the universe, other spiritual beings. Now, I need you to think about this, because it's very likely you've never heard this taught correctly. The word gods, in verse 7, lowercase g, is the Hebrew word Elohim. And that is a word that's used to describe spiritual beings, but they are created spiritual beings. So monotheism doesn't mean that there aren't other spiritual beings in the, in the universe. There are. Monotheism means there's only one spiritual being who's uncreated, supreme, worthy of your worship. There's only one God, uppercase G. Look at verse six where it says, I'm Yahweh your God, uppercase G. You'll have no other lowercase G gods before me. This is because God knew there are other spiritual beings in this universe and they can't even compete with me for glory. But pay attention because they're gonna try. They are vying for your loyalty. And so if you think you're living in a world where there aren't spiritual forces at work trying to lure you away from Yahweh, the one and only creator God, it's time to wake up spiritually because the Bible clearly teaches we're living in a world with demonic spiritual forces that are at work to lure you away. But Yahweh has no peers. Amen? Amen? I want you to think about this. Moses knew. He knew. He's standing at the boundary of the Jordan River. He's looking into the promised land. He's with his people. He's looking at them. He loves them. And he knows the greatest danger over there is not military threat. It's not military resistance. That's not the thing that's going to destroy my people. The greatest threat in the promised land is the gods of the Canaanites who will tempt my people and try to lure them away from their loyalty to Yahweh. He's got no peers. We look at verse seven where it says, no other gods before me. In the Hebrew, that actually says literally, no other gods before my face. It was almost God's way of saying, do you know how much of a, an affront to me it would be if you worshiped me, but you also started being interested in other spiritual beings, that would be like the biggest affront to me. The main god in Canaan was a deity named Baal. Maybe you've heard that word, B-A-A-L. And um, he was the head of a whole pantheon of other gods, deities. And again, these were real spiritual beings, all right? And I want to tell you a little bit about Baal. Every god was known for certain things you could get from that god. 
Pagan, pagan worship was very pragmatic. It's like, I scratch your back and you scratch mine. That was the way they worshiped. Listen to this. This is what Baal was known for. Stop me if it sounds familiar. He was known to be the God of self, power, sex, and things. Does that sound familiar? Materialism, sex, power, and narcissism. That was Baal. And he would reward people when they worshiped him, when they made the right sacrifices. He would, he would bless them. He would bless them with a great sex life. He would bless them with military conquest. He would bless them with abundant crops. And it was a real thing. And he would lure people away from Yahweh. And so you say, well, how does that apply to us today? Well, think about it for just a minute. Now, again, you've probably not heard this taught very clearly. We're living in a day and age where there are powers and pleasures and philosophies and ideologies and other religions, and they're all geared towards luring people away from Yahweh, the one and only living God. Amen? Amen. Someone's talking to me. This is amazing. Is that God? God, what are you saying? <laughs> okay, now wait a minute. You say, oh yeah, but that's just, that's just like, um, it's just secular, it's material. There's nothing spiritual behind all those things. Wrong. Those ideologies and worldviews and philosophies and false religions are energized by spiritual beings. And their number one goal is to lure people away from the one and only God. And so if you find yourself being tempted, if you find yourself being tempted to deconstruct or, or run after some other way, there's something spiritual happening there. That's why it's so important in the church for us to talk about stuff like this. I'm not going to minimize this. I have people come up every Sunday and say, thank you for talking about this stuff that's uncomfortable. We need to know about this. You need to know about this. And your children need to know about it. And this is why when we come to worship, you know what worship is? Worship is the place where you come not only to give glory to God, but also to pay attention. What's happening in my life? Is my loyalty to Yahweh alone or have I been lured away this week? And in worship, I'm brought back. It's actually the old English word, worthship, where I express absolute worth to the one and only God and I reject the false gods that are trying to lure me away. And that's what we do every Sunday. It's more than just singing songs, which is amazing. Have you noticed our songs talk about how unique and amazing and one and only Yahweh the living God is? That's what we're doing here. Amen? Okay, that's word one. Here we go. Here's the second, this is the second word. Write it down. Yahweh won't be manipulated through worship. That is what the command, don't make carved images. That's what it's about. It's a warning about worship. It's not just about don't paint things. It's not about art, okay? It's a, it's a warning about a way of worshiping we're actually trying to manipulate God. 
Now I need to show you why that is. So look at verse eight. When it says you shall not make a carved image, that is the Hebrew word pasel, and it means an object or something that you, you make into a statue or you carve it, it's out of wood or stone. It's a physical image meant to function as a representative of God, even Yahweh. You make something that takes the place of Yahweh and then you worship by bowing down to that image. This is hard for us to relate to because we don't, that's not really a part of our Protestant tradition. I'm gonna talk about that more in just a moment. Here's the point. The warning was, don't try to take the living God and squeeze him into an object because when you do that, what you're actually trying to do is you're trying to control God through worship. Do you remember in the book of Exodus when Moses had gone up on Sinai and the people started going, where the heck is Moses? And they came to Aaron and they said, let's make an idol. And Aaron said, give me all your gold. And he boiled it down. And what did he make? He made a golden calf. Now, I don't know if you know this. In ancient culture, a calf was a symbol of virility and strength. So what they wanted was they wanted strength and virility. And that was why they were worshiping. But here's the thing. When they made the calf, I don't know if you've ever noticed this, Aaron called the calf Yahweh. And he said, this is the God that led us out of Egypt. Did you know that? So here's what they did. They took the one and only living God, they made a golden calf, because what they really wanted was strength and virility, and they started worshiping God to control the situation. That's the warning. That's it. One commentator calls it self-willed worship. He says this is the kind of worship where we worship God as we choose. We worship God, but we're doing it all the while retaining a certain amount of self-will. I want religion in my life, but I never want to give up control. I want to have a relationship with God, but I want it to be a relationship that's always slightly on my terms and always slightly in a way where it benefits me. And the second commandment says, you're no longer worshiping the one and only living God then. You're worshiping an image you've created that you can manipulate. I like the way Christopher Wright said it. He's a, he's a commentator on Deuteronomy. Here's what he said. He's talking about the, the fact that the God of the universe is a speaking God, a living God. And this is the purpose of the commandment. As the speaking God, Yahweh, he reveals, he addresses, he promises, he challenges, he confronts, he demands. That's who God is. And the God that I'm worshiping is a God who challenges me. If I'm never challenged in worship, if you never come, if, if you never come to church and feel challenged by the word of God, something's wrong. He's a challenging God. He's a speaking God. Any attempt to turn Yahweh into a voiceless statue effectively gags him. Idolatry, therefore, is fundamentally an escape from the living voice and the commands of the living God. And so Moses says, let's not do this. Let's not do this. 
So there are traditions that encourage people to bow down to statues, bow down to icons, bow down to artworks and worship them. And this is, the, this is what the second commandment is prohibiting. When Kathy and I lived in Eugene, we were a part of a church. It was a little bit like River West. It was smaller. And they had a live nativity. They had like this, they had one of the largest live nativities in the country. Do you know what a live nativity is? It's like take the manger scene at Christmas with Jesus and Joseph and Mary and the animals, but you do it live. There's actually people, and we had real animals, okay? We didn't have camels, we had llamas, but it was close. And, uh, and so I was a wise man, so I was, in you'd 30 minute shifts, there were these different stations, and you'd stand still. And I was a wise man looking at the star. And then and Kathy was, um, she was Mary. She was in another station. So it was this big deal. You'd walk around the street and they had a scene with all the shepherds and then they had a scene at the manger and then they had a scene with the, the wise men. But at the very end, they had a scene with Jesus after the resurrection where, and, and they had a verse over it that says, come unto me, all who are weary and I'll give you rest. And we had a guy in our church who looked exactly like Caucasian Jesus, okay? You know what I'm talking about? Caucasian Jesus with a lamb. He looked exactly like that. So we'd put him out there and he would stand still. And what would happen is people would start praying to him and it freaked him out because people would start confessing their deepest sins. He's like, I don't think I should be hearing this, you know? And they're like, please, Jesus, save my soul. He came in one time, he was like, I'm breaking the second commandment. This is like bad news, right? See, we don't do that anymore. We're too sophisticated. We don't worship objects or, or paintings. But what we do do, if we're not careful, is we take an image of the God we want to worship, and we worship him, because we don't actually want to surrender to the living God, which is very risky. And so Moses says, don't, don't try to manipulate God with your worship. Worship is a time where I come and God speaks to me. He speaks to me. Here's word number three. Write it down. Yahweh's reputation is the mission. And that's actually what it means to not take the name of the Lord in vain. Have you ever heard it taught? That means don't swear, right? You know, don't take, don't use Jesus in a swear word, which I agree, that's not a great thing to do. But do you know what? That's, that is actually not even close to what this commandment is really about. This is about the mission. One of the greatest gifts that God gave his people was he shared with them his personal name. And then in word number three, he said, it literally says, do not take up my name and carry it around in a vain or empty way. If you're gonna be my people, don't take my name in vain. It's a, it's a beautiful commandment because it's all about our loyalty. It's essentially a commandment that says, our role as the people of God, as the image bearers of God, is to live in such a way where the reputation of Yahweh keeps increasing in our world because people watch the way we live. And this is so important, so critical. 
We understand the connection between my name and my reputation. Have you ever had somebody talk about you and use your name out in public and attribute to you things that you don't believe in at all where it really has tarnished your reputation? Have you ever had that happen to you? I have. Feels terrible. Someone's talking about me and they're saying, this is what Adam thinks. And I'm like, that's not what I think at all. Did you know that God, Yahweh experiences that? He's like, there's people out there. You know how tempting it is in the world for people who want to win a crowd or move a political idea forward or build something big? Do you know how tempting it is to try to take the name of God, attach it to your idea because it gives a little more authority and then get on Instagram and start telling everybody about it and God's up in heaven going, I've got nothing to do with that. I don't even believe, I don't agree with that. And so one of my greatest passions for our church is that we would be the kind of church where people out there would look at the way we love one another, the way we worship, the way we behave, the way we treat the poor, the way we do justice, the way we spend our money, they would look at that and go, I don't know what I think about religion, but I really like the way that God looks. Amen? And one of my greatest fears is that someday I'll stand before Jesus and he'll say, you got a lot of stuff right, but there's a couple things where you claimed that I was about this and I was not about that. And so one of the things I'll ask myself regularly is, Adam, this is gonna sound strange, but I'm gonna apply it to you and it's gonna get really strange. Adam, if you were God, would you want you representing your reputation? If you were God, would you want you walking around in the world representing the reputation of God? That's the question. Think about your life, your relationships, your marriage, your parenting, how you treat your boss, how you spend your money. Are you bringing increased fame to the name of Christ, to the way you live? That is what it means to not take up the name of the Lord in vain. It's so beautiful. It's about loyalty. It's totally about loyalty. Okay, I'm moving fast. I get it. What about Sabbath? What is the real meaning of that? Here's the sentence. Think about this. Yahweh does not enslave. He partners. That was the meaning of the Sabbath command. You're no longer slaves. You're my partners. You're my partners. The purpose, the word Shabbat actually means to stop. It means to cease. That's why it, the primary application was don't work on that day. But then think about this. What does that have to do with loyalty to Yahweh? Because it very clearly says, look at verse 14. It says, on the seventh day, that's a Sabbath to the Lord. You're, you're, you're not Sabbathing for yourself, although there's all kinds of benefits to Sabbath. The purpose was to bring attention to how glorious God is. Now, what I want you to realize that, this, you might not know this, but 
in the ancient world, when Israel received this word, this, this, third, this fourth commandment, there was no society on the planet who had any ethic even remotely close to this. I don't know if you know this. No society had a whole day where they were not to work. This was absolutely revolutionary. We take it for granted because we're living in the fruit of it. So the whole idea of like five days of work and then a weekend literally comes from the Bible. The phrase, thank God it's Friday, is actually biblical, all right? Say it. <laughs> thank God it's Friday. That comes from the Bible. People say, no, 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 all the great ethical things about our culture, rest, caring for the poor, that came from the Enlightenment. That came from liberal, secular rationality. No, it didn't. The Enlightenment would have never created the ethic that we have in our Judeo-Christian society. We got it from the God of the universe in Scripture. Did you know that? Including take a day of rest. Take a day off. So as much as the command brings blessing in your life, it's really ultimately about, God, we want to be a people who draw attention to you where people would say, this, these people, they are different. They are different. So I'm gonna put up a slide to show you something about the difference between Deuteronomy and Exodus. You, many of you, if you've studied, you, you might know this, but for a lot of you, this will be new. The 10 commandments show up in Exodus as well. And what, there's a difference when you read the Sabbath word. At the end of both of them, is a rationale is given. Here's why the Sabbath. In Deuteronomy, the reason is, God says, I redeemed you out of slavery. You're not slaves anymore, so you don't have to work every day. So don't do it. This is interesting, though. In the book of Exodus, the rationale is different. In Exodus, God says, he goes back to creation and he says, for six days I created and on the seventh day I stopped and I rested. God didn't rest because he was tired. He didn't rest because he was exhausted. He rested as an act of exaltation. He said, I am sovereign God and you are not. And here's the pattern. Six days of work, one day of rest. So I don't know if you thought about this, but when you stop, when you take a day, maybe it's for you Saturday, maybe it's Sunday, maybe it's Monday, now that we're in the new covenant, the day itself, it doesn't matter what day you do it, but when you take a day and you stop striving and you stop working, what you're saying is you're saying, not only are you saying, I'm not a slave, you're saying, I'm not God either. I am not God Things do not depend on me. Amen? They don't depend on me. The whole world is not going to teeter on the edge of absolute destruction if I take a day off. Okay? Workaholics, I love you. I love you. But the, the world is not going to fall apart on you. In fact, if you think that's true, what you're saying is this all depends on me. I'm God. Now, let me be real vulnerable. Let me take it real personal. I'll, I'll get real personal. On Saturdays, the Sabbath word becomes very real to me because I get to the end of a week of working to write 
a sermon and I really care. I don't want, I want to stand up here and I want to preach in a way that's going to be helpful and edifying. I want to bring Christ's glory. But there's a very fine line where I can work really hard, six days of work, or five, but I can just keep on working all the way till Sunday morning where God says, Adam, you are not God. And I actually don't need you tomorrow. I don't need you. I'm letting you partner with me. So take a break, buddy. Take a, take a run. Take a nap. Watch German soccer. I don't care. Just take it easy. Take a walk with your wife. And when I do, I have to stop and say, Lord, I trust you. And this is, I'm going to stop now and I'm going to rest. As a radical, revolutionary declaration, you are God and I'm not. How about you? Do you need a reminder? Take a Sabbath day in your life. All right, here's the final word I want to share with you. Word number five. This is going to sound interesting, but you've never heard of this. Yahweh designed family for the purpose of formation. That's the purpose of family. Formation. That's the purpose of parents. God designed parents to first and foremost form their children in the way of scripture. And this is why the fifth commandment is about honoring God. Because it requires kids who honor their parents. I don't know if you thought about that. So we think, we're, we're thinking, no, this is a horizontal thing. But here's what you need to realize. In Hebrew culture, your parents were not your neighbors. They were not on a horizontal plane with you. As much as this grates against some of our modern sensibilities and we, don't, we recoil against things about hierarchy, in ancient Hebrew culture, you were not peers with your parents. They were your elders. Some of you are like, can, I, can you pause? Can I go get my kid out of the children's ministry and bring him in here for a minute? Someone came up afterwards and they were like, I'm forwarding this sermon to all of my biological children. Because in Hebrew culture, your parents were not your peers. You honored them. And the reason you honored them is because God put them in your life. In one sense, he put them in your life to represent him. Now, the ideal is a society or a church where moms and dads are godly. And they're loyal to God. And they understand their mission to train up their children. And in that kind of a society, you need children who understand part of honoring God means I honor my mom and dad. And I obey them and I follow them. Now it gets very complicated if you have parents who are, who were very, who brought a lot of pain into your life. Amen. Then you're like, how do I honor my parents? My parents were wicked to me. I get that. It's really hard. But there's an element of this where God's saying, this is the kind of purpose of the family. And so my honor of my parents reveals almost as much about how much I honor God as anything else. 
When I was in Eugene, one of the most radical conversions that I got to be a part of when I was doing youth ministry was a kid named Zach. Zach was, um, he was out of control. He was really disrespectful. He was a punk. I loved him in Jesus' name, but he was a punk. And I spent time with this kid, and, brought, and he started coming to the, the church where I led the youth group, and he came to Young Life, and he had this radical conversion to Christ. And after his conversion, we would hang out. And one day, we were having coffee, and I said, Zach, here's what I think you need to do. I think you need to find one thing that you need to start doing to express your loyalty to God right now, that you're actually a changed person? What does it look like to express loyalty to Jesus in your life? And he's like, I already know immediately what it is. I'm so disrespectful to my parents. So disrespectful. His parents were not Christians. They were atheists. They thought, they thought Christianity was a cult. They couldn't believe he was coming to this thing. But here's Zach going, I have got to honor my mom and dad. And I was like, go, do it, Okay. Two Sundays later, his mom and dad walked into the doors of our church. Yeah, and they came up to me and they were like, what have you done to our child? Where is our child, Zach? Where is he? And they, and they never stopped coming to church. They became Christians, both of them, through the, through the loyalty of their son to Jesus Christ. Amen? So it's about loyalty to God. What does it look like to be loyal? Adult Children, honor your parents. Care for them. Take care of them. What does it look like to be loyal? Sabbath, take breaks. I'm not God and I'm not a slave and I'm gonna show my loyalty to God by doing that. What does it mean to be loyal to Yahweh? I'm gonna think all the time about I'm bearing the name of God with my life. What does it mean to be loyal to God? I'm not gonna worship God to manipulate him. I'm gonna worship him completely to sh tell him how worthy he is. What does it mean to be loyal to God? I'm not gonna be lured away by other things, other deities, other ways. God and God alone. Amen? Did you know, I'll close here. There's a moment in the New Testament, there's a scene in the gospels where all five of those words come together in one moment. This is incredible. I, I read this, but I'm indebted to a, a scholar named Gerhardus Voss. He said, think about John 19. Now think about this. John 19, Jesus is hanging on a cross, experiencing arguably the most gruesome pain you can experience, and he looks into the crowd. Do you remember this moment? And who does he see? He sees his mother. His biological mother. And from the cross, he honors his mother. Because he knows, I'm not going to be here to care for her. So he says to John, the disciple that he loved, who's right next to her, he said, this is now your mother. Take care of her. Take care of her. And he honored his mother. Not only that, on the cross... Jesus said, it is finished, which means he fulfilled Sabbath rest. You don't have to work anymore. You don't have to earn your salvation. I've purchased it. It is finished. Stop striving and rest. He was the image of the invisible God on the cross. 
Jesus Christ, the, the, the name that is to be most exalted, he went to a cross to bear the perfect image of the one and only God. We could see and worship Christ and he is God alone. And he did all of that in one moment on a cross. And that's why we worship him. And that's why we gather every Sunday to declare his name. And that's why we go to the table, which I'm gonna invite you to do right now. Will you bow your heads with me and I'll have the worship team come. Lord, how much we thank you that an ancient text, thousands and thousands and thousands of years ago, speaks today. And we need to hear it. And we want to change. And Lord, we want to be a church. We pray right now, we would be a church that is loyal to you. Oh, Father, how we pray that people would see the glory of Christ in our community. And it starts now as we go to the table. How I pray for each of my brothers and sisters this morning that as they go to the table and they eat and drink, this would be a moment of love expressed to you, God. We're loyal to you, Father. And we're thankful for your son, Jesus. And we worship him. And we pray together in Christ's name. Everybody said, amen.